say thank you for your faithfulness and, and giving. Amen. And this offering, if you are um, not, not a member of our church, this offering that goes towards our Sunday school and uh, all throughout this building today, here this morning, we have Sunday school classes that are uh, gathering and um, thankful for every teacher that we have. Amen. I'm thankful for uh, a vibrant, young, growing church. Amen. Where we have kids and uh, kids running around this place. And then also, amen, a wonderful, wonderful children's ministry. Amen. I'm thankful for everyone that pours into them and invests in them. Amen. Let's pray for this offering here this morning. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are so blessed, God, to be able to come into this place today, Lord, to feel your presence already moving in this place. Lord, I pray that you would bless this offering, help to meet the needs of this church. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we do have a guest minister who is with us today. His name is Matt Gator. And... Um, he comes from, uh, or grew up in, in Elkhart, or as far as I know, grew up in Elkhart area, but, uh, and more, more recently, he is, he's really traveling here all the way from Jerusalem, and has spent, uh, spent the last several years in Israel and in Jerusalem, and studying at the University of Jerusalem, and uh, he is... Amen. A great man of God that uh, has quite an incredible story. Amen. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. He will. He's going to have a time. He can, he can share some of that here later today. But uh, I'm so thrilled that he is able to, to minister to us today. He's just here in the United States, just on a short trip. And uh, so I want to invite to the pulpit now Brother Matt Gator, amen, to come to speak to our church today. church. Amen. Are you thankful to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. Amen. Isn't the spirit of worship in here beautiful this morning? Amen. Thank you for leading us into the presence of God. Amen. What an honor and privilege it is to be here. I'm very excited. I'm a little nervous. Yes, if you haven't been able to tell, I am blind. Amen. But that didn't stop God from calling me. Amen. It didn't stop me from answering. Amen. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of abilities or disabilities. Amen. You give them to God. Amen. God can do anything in your life. Amen. He'll take you anywhere. Amen. Amen. So if you would, while you're standing, um, let's see here. Okay. Turn to Romans chapter 1.
Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Brother Gil and I do this every once in a while. You know, I realize it's a bit of a risk to, to have me come, and when you took it, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, when you give honor to the leadership of this church, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Brother Stokely, I love you very much. I wouldn't be where I am without you. I mean, this guy came to witness to me years ago when I was in the Elkhart County Jail, looking at 40 years in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Um, he's let me come stay and live at his house, and just, I can't, I can't say it. Thank you, Brother Stokely. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, uh, through all that being wrong, beloved of God, amen, thank God that he's, he's calling them a beloved of God, baby, uh, at Rome, I don't know about you, but I want to be a beloved of God, amen, those who are called to be saints, amen, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to draw your attention to that part right there. Um, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that looks like there's two. And, I, and I'm going to tell you right up front, no, there's not two. Um, that here Paul is writing, and he's got a Jewish theology that's in his mind. And today, Brother Gillen asked me to teach on the oneness of God from a Jewish perspective. Uh, would you pray with me real quick before we get started? Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Amen. I thank you for the revelation of God. And I'm asking you, Jesus, would you reveal yourself? Amen. Open our eyes and open our ears, God. Amen. Give us revelation and understanding, God. Amen. We want to know who you are. Amen. And I'm asking you, God, help us. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. It looks like there's two. So who am I? And I just want to give you a little bit because we've got a lot of work to do today in this, in this Bible study. That's what this is, right? It's a Bible study right now. Amen. So we're going to get into the word. Amen. All right. But who am I and why do I have the ability or why do I think that I have the ability to, to be able to teach something like this? Well, um, one, I have a revelation of God. Amen. I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. Um, but I didn't know it, but uh, my mom was Jewish, and her mother was Jewish. And uh, later on, God called me and, and called me to Israel and uh, just through a series of events showed me my lineage and where I came from. And um, that led into a process where I started learning with rabbis. If you're Jewish and uh, you don't know you're Jewish, a rabbi, will, will, they'll call you a stolen baby. And they'll give you any opportunity to teach you as much as they can. And so for the last several years, I've been not only in a university, but Makon um, HaGavara, which is an institute of higher learning. Amen. And, and I, it's a kolel, uh, yeshiva, it's different, you can call it different names. But I learn with rabbis all the time. And one of the biggest things that we talk about is we talk about the revelation of God. Uh, it's, it's one of the most important understandings of, of, of who God is. And without it, we can't, we can't know who God is. We need the revelation of God. So... Amen. So that's why I think that I have the, the ability to be able to stand before you today and teach you Jewish theology. Because I spent several years learning it. All right. So I want to do that today. I want to uh, just kind of challenge some thinking uh, and, and kind of offer a little bit of insight to Jewish theology. And then we're going to look at how the Bible reveals God. 
And then we're going to look at how the authors of the New Testament took that Jewish theology and the revelation of God from the Hebrew Bible and applied it to Jesus. Amen. Are you excited? All right. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's get going. So Genesis 1-1 says this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, uh, there's all different kinds of things. If you look in commentaries, um, there's all different kinds of things that are stated about these few verses. I don't want to get into any of those because according to, to, to the Jews, these are just introductory verses, right? The first two verses. Now, you get in uh, verse 3. Uh, it says, Vayomer, or Elohim, and God said, Yehior, so it shall be, or let there be light. It's an interesting translation. It's not a very good translation because he doesn't express a wish for or desire that there would be light. He just says light happened, and it does, right? So uh, it's very interesting that when we start looking at these days very, very closely, we can see a pattern begin to emerge. So day three, or day one, verse three. God said, let there be light. So let me ask you a question. What came first, God or the light? Right, God existed before the light. He obviously made it, right? Verse, uh, verse 6, the second day. God said, let there be a firmament. Right, so, and then verse 7, and God made. So you can look at that and, and see something very interesting there. You have a, a, a theology of God beginning to emerge. God said, and then God made. And from this, you can it, it's a theology. And what it is is that you can gather from these few verses that God is a God who says and does. Right? And you can, can see through the pattern. So it's interesting that we can come to the Genesis chapter 1. And we can look at it as a creation narrative, a creation story. But really, you can go through and watch exactly, pay very close attention to what God is doing, what he's saying, and how he's performing. And you can become to realize a lot of things about how God operates. Amen. So that's what's happening here in Genesis chapter 1. And you can go through, and I want to take a bunch of time to do it, uh, to go through these verse by verse. But if you've read Genesis chapter 1 you'll probably notice that it says, uh, and God said. And the word there for God is Elohim. And uh, you, when you get to Genesis chapter 2, turn there for me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Something about the Jews. Genesis 2, 4, there's something that's interesting that takes place here. Um it says, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created, right? In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, I wonder, why does it say Lord God? Anybody have any idea? Now, let me ask you, would you look at Lord God and say that that's two different people? You wouldn't come to that conclusion, would you? So what's going on there with the Lord God? Well, the first thing you'll notice is, is that the Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. If you're in the King James or anything like it, 
all of, when you have the Lord with all caps like that, what that's indicating is, is that that's the name of God. yud hey vav hey uh, uh, in the Western part of the world, they call it the Tetragrammaton, right? So, and that's what's happening there. And what you have there is got Lord, which is yud hey vav hey the name of God. And then you've got uh, Elohim, which is the word for God. Now, we would all agree, we wouldn't say that that's two different gods. And, 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 and it's interesting why the name of God is being used there, right? So I want to try to draw out this picture to what's happening here. What's happening in Genesis chapter 1? We, we agree that God existed first, right? All right, so everybody write this one down. So God existed first. And so if he existed first, that means that he's a spirit, right? He's in the spiritual realm. Would you, would you agree with that? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a line here, and we're going to keep God up here in the spirit realm. And what did he do in Genesis 1? He created the world and everything in it. So down here, we're going to draw the world, you know, maybe some stars, maybe even the sun or whatever. I'm not the best artist. I challenge you, if you think you could do a better job blindfolded, you come up here and do it. So what you have is you've got two different dimensions in Genesis chapter 1. You've got God, who's a spirit, and then you've got the temporal world where he created everything, the earth and everything in it. And not only did he do create the world and everything in it, he also created wine on the day four, right? He also has the days of the week. And we can go through and do a really phenomenal Bible study on that if you want to take the time to do it. But the point is, is that Genesis 1 has a very beautiful image of what's taking place. God, who is a spirit, eternal spirit, who is outside of time and space, created the world and everything in it and time and space itself. So what's the difference between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? That's the question we have. Why is it using the name of God? And this is the Jewish theology. And it goes like this, that God, who created the world and everything in it, who is a spirit, came down, stepped into time and space. And if you go through chapter 2 very closely, it always uses the name of God. Well, why does it do that? Because that's the Jewish theology. And that's what makes Jewish theology different from any of the uh, other religions of the ancient, uh, ancient Levant, any of the ancient Semitic religions. They all had gods who they would offer up sacrifices to and try to convince and to try to appease not to destroy their crops or to let it rain and do different things. But the God of Israel isn't a God who's afar off. He created the world and everything in it. Amen. But he didn't just create the world and and set it into to existence, he uh, created it, and then he stepped into time and space, right? And he was heavily involved with Adam. He created Adam. He stepped into time and space and created Adam. And you can continue seeing it in, in, in chapter 2, verse 7. You've got the name of God there, and then it goes through that, that the Lord God created the garden, and then the Lord God gave him a job, and the Lord God saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone, and the Lord God told him to name the animals. And then the Lord God created Adam and Eve. And from that, you can gather this Jewish theology that not only did God step into time and space, but he's very heavily involved with mankind. In fact, verse 3, or chapter 3, 
it's the same thing. When, and when Adam and Eve sinned, it says the Lord God. Why? Because the Lord God didn't just uh, leave men to deal with sin on his own. Amen. He came down. He stepped into time and space, and he dealt with sin himself. Chapter 4, same process. Cain went to kill Abel or, or had it in his heart to kill Abel. God stepped in, and he uses the name Lord God or yod heh vav Why? Because God is very heavily involved. And people say, well, why didn't God stop it? Well, he did. He had a conversation with Cain, but Cain disobeyed. That's the way it is. But God didn't just leave Adam and Eve's kids to deal with it on their own. Amen. He is the creator of the heaven and earth. Amen. He could do that, and we guess that he is, but he didn't do that. He steps into time and space, and he deals with sin. Right? That's the theology of it. I showed you the dual theology, right? And the question is, how do they get to that theology? So the next thing I want to talk to you about is how the Bible reveals himself, how, God, how the Bible reveals God himself. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go to the second part here. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. It says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. So here God's speaking to Moses. This is the story of the burning bush. Amen. Uh, it's, God has this conversation with Moses, and he tells him, I see the affliction of my people uh, that are in Egypt. He said, I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. He says, for I know their sorrows. So it's very interesting You've got God who um, sees all this stuff that's going on. Verse 8, and he says, and I have come down to deliver them, right? God, outside of time and space, came down. He stepped into time and space. Why? To deliver them, right? So that's his, what he said. Now, and this is what's, what's happening here. You've got... Moses engaging with God, and you've got God revealing himself why he came down, and you've got Moses recording why he came down. He said, I came to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, notice he didn't say, I'm sending my son. I'm sending an angel. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I have come down. Now, this is where that Jewish theology begins to take place, or uh, begin to uh, be shaped and begin to, to form and to take place. It isn't that someone just came up with it on their own. You can look up Rashi, Rambam. There's several uh, uh, commentators who offer this explanation of God outside of time and space who's a ruler and judge, uh, and he steps into time and space on, on, in, on behalf of humanity, showing them mercy and engaging with humanity on every aspect and every level of their life. But this is where it comes from. He said, I came down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. So he's got a plan and a purpose. He said, unto a good land, unto a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. So he didn't just bring them out just to say, there you go, God, good luck. Amen. He's got a plan and a purpose that he's going to see them through all the way to the end. Right? Very beautiful. He said, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. The Perizzites, 
into the Hivites and the Jebusites. So he's going to go, and he's going to have them take over this entire land, and it's going to be the promised land, which I get to go back to next week. Amen. This is who God is, and you can see how the Bible begins to shape uh, its own theology of God. You don't have to just make it interpretive and say, well, this is what I think that it is. It makes it very clear what it is. I came down. Exodus chapter 19, verse 11. Sister Gillen, I think that you're going to come up here and play in a few minutes, and that's my time that it's my time is up. I'm going to make myself at home here and try to get through this, but as soon as you get to playing, I'll just shut it down, so feel free, amen? Exodus chapter 19, verse 11. He says, Moses says, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down. So he's bringing that that idea out again. God's going to come down in the sight of all the people. And it's beautiful because, you know, when God came down, he was speaking to Moses in in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is saying that this, this thing that God is doing, it isn't just for me. Amen. It's for all people. Amen. The revelation of God is for all people. Amen. He's doing it in the sight of everybody. Amen. Everyone's got access to this thing. Amen. Thank God. So here you've got the Bible just developing its own theology of God. You don't have to interpret it in any kind of crazy way. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar or Greek scholar to figure out what this says and this says. Da, da, da. It's very clear. I came down, or God's going to come down, and he's going to do it in the sight of everybody. Everyone has access. Thank God. So he said, and I'm going to do it upon Mount Sinai. Verse uh, 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 16. It says, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. So they all were experiencing this. Verse 17, and Moses brought forth the people from the camp to meet with God, Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth, right? He's already established that. Amen. So it's not any other God. It's, it's not like a second God or anything like that. It's not a, a third power in heaven or a second power in heaven. No, this is, this is the creator of heaven and earth we're talking about. He's the one that's going to come down in the sight of all the people. Amen. So it's very clear. And it says that they stood at the nether part of the mount. Verse 18. And Mount Sinai was all together on the smoke because the Lord descended on it. Amen. He came down. And that's the word in Hebrew, if you read. He came down. And the smoke thereof ascended as of the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded loud and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. So it's very clear. We're not talking about a switcheroo here. It's God, the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who's speaking. Hey, he's the one who came down. Verse uh, 19, or chapter 19, verse 20. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mount. And the Lord called the mount, or called Moses up from the top of the mount, and Moses went up. So it's very clear what, what Moses and what the Bible is trying to tell us here. God came down. over to Exodus 34, and we're going to run through these verses, and we're going to see a pattern begin to uh, emerge 
throughout the entire Bible. All right. Uh, 34 verse 4. It says, and he hewed three tables of stone, like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up on the Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. Just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, this is the second time Moses has gone up on the Mount. The first time, the people rejected the laws of God. Uh, Moses, uh, and they, they make the idol, the golden calf, and uh, they start to party and do all kind of crazy stuff. And God tells Moses, hey, they're down there doing all this stuff. Moses goes down there and breaks the tablets. And it looked like it would be over, but that's not what God does, right? Like, you would think that that would be enough to say, you know what? I did all those miracles. Hey, man, I brought them out. Hey, man, I came down myself. I stepped off the, the throne of heaven. Hey, man, and I, I have his plan and purpose. Hey, man, I want to do something great in their life. Hey, man, but they just rejected it. And then they go on to start breaking all these laws that God had just gave them. And you would think that, you know, because I'm the way that I am in my human self. Kid, you don't listen. I'm fed up. You figure it out on your own. But thank God God isn't that way. Hey, man, because he tells Moses, hey, hew a couple tablets of stone and come back up on the mountain. I got something for you. Right? It's very beautiful. Uh, 34 verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud. Do you see that? He came down. God. Outside of time and space, stepped into time and space. And he began to deal with, with Moses again. Watch this. Uh, it says, and, and the Lord descended and stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Watch. Verse 6. It says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. So who's proclaiming? The Lord. He's revealing himself. Do you see that? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and mercy and truth. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressing and sin and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, which sounds like it's a, a statement of judgment, but really... What, really what it's saying is that anyone that's guilty of sin is not going to be able to escape my mercy. That's really what that's saying, right? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Sounds like a bad thing. And, and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But he's already established how, how kind and good and, and merciful he is. So if he's going to visit the sins of the fathers upon the children, he's not going to do it with, with judgment and, and, and punishment. He's going to do it with mercy. Amen. You might recognize the promise like this. For the promise is unto you and to your children. Amen. Do you see that connection there? Amen. That's who he is. The promise is unto you and to your children. Right? Verse, three, verse 8. Now watch what happens here. And Moses made haste, and he bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshipped. Now that's the result and the response to the revelation of God. It wasn't anyone, Moses, teaching, hey, this is a great idea. Let's look at God this way. No. God came down, and he revealed himself as kind and merciful and loving and, and patient. And the response was so great that it made Moses make haste. He hurried up. He bowed down, and he worshiped. Well, why is that so important? 
Because when Moses met God in the burning bush, he didn't bow down and worship. When God did all those miracles with Moses and said, hey, I'm going to send you into Egypt to bring my people out, Moses didn't make haste to bow down and worship. Amen. When he went in and did all those miracles and, and brought the people out, when God came down on the mountain the first time, there's no record that Moses made haste. He bowed down and worshiped. Amen. But when God came down and he revealed how merciful and kind he is and what his plans are, the response of Moses was that he bowed down and he worshiped. Amen. And that's exactly how it is. And Paul makes a statement like this, that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Because he's merciful. And that's the reason why he came down. So you can see that from this here, why the Jewish theology is, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, was that God was the creator of heaven and earth, spirit, and he stepped into time and space. He came down. And he was involved with humanity. Why? Why do they come to that conclusion? Because the Bible says God himself made that claim. Right? It's very clear. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Okay, let's continue. Numbers 11, verse 25. Numbers 11, verse 25. Now you can go with me or I can just run with it. Right? Numbers 11, verse 25. I love hearing those Bible verses. You know, I really do appreciate that. You guys work with me. Numbers 11, verse 25. And the Lord came down. So it wasn't just a single event. It wasn't just something that the people had the opportunity to receive and they rejected it. It wasn't something that Moses was the only one that was able to receive because he decided that he was going to receive it. Amen. God continued to come down and he did so in the sight of the people. Watch. And he spake unto Moses and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. Dave, you probably remember this verse. We did a Bible study on this a couple years ago. And it came to pass. That when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. Now, doesn't that sound like Acts chapter 2? But then it goes on, it says that he came down. Amen. He stepped into time and space. So it wasn't like God just, you know, did the, waved the wand or, you know, made something happen. He came down and he dealt with it himself. And this was the response. Very beautiful. He said they, they prophesied, they did not cease. Numbers 12, verse 5. We'll continue. Numbers 12, verse 5. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud. Do you see that? And he stood in the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth, and they're going to get in trouble. Amen. But still, uh, the point is, God came down. And it continues. We'll continue even further. Uh, 2 Samuel. Um, 2 Samuel uh, 22, verse 10. This is David. Because it seemed like, well, ma well, maybe Moses was the only one who got to experience that. Some people might make that argument. The problem is, David said it. He bowed the heavens also, and he came down, and darkness was under his feet. So here's this, this beautiful psalm that David had the same revelation that Moses did. Amen. And if you continue reading, um, thank you. 
go to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1. And when Solomon had made an end of praying, fire came down from heaven. 2 Chronicles 7, 7. Do you see that? And it says that, that he accepted the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Okay, so it says that he uh, consumed the burnt offering and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Uh, 7 verse 3. And when all the children of the Israel saw that the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed their ho- uh, faces to the ground upon the pavement. So the great famous song from Moses, that he hastened and bowed down and they worshiped and praised the Lord. Amen. For he was good and his mercy endured forever. So it wasn't just that David had consumed those vases. Solomon had consumed those vases. Psalms. Psalms 18, verse 9. And you'll recognize this because uh, I just read it in in Chronicles, or in in Samuel. Psalms 18, verse 9. He bowed the heavens also, and he came down, and darkness was under his feet. And if you go through and you read the Psalms, with this lens on, you'll see it over and over and over again where God had come down and he engaged and he fought and he helped and he protected and he provided for David, just like he did for the children in the wilderness. Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. He said, I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and holy one came down from heaven. So here's Daniel having the same experience, the same recognition. He's seen God come down. Um, And we could go through and we could look at the prophets again and again and again. But what I want to do is I want to try to get into the New Testament. How did the authors of the New Testament utilize that revelation of God and even Jewish theology and apply it to Jesus? That's what we're trying to get to, right? All right. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, or in Greek it's prosontion. I I disagree. As as someone who knows Greek, I disagree with that translation. It's prosontion, which means to or toward God. It's very difficult to translate. So I understand from a Trinitarian perspective why they would say with God. But then John clarifies it. And the word was God. Theos in Greek, or Elohim. So you can see he's drawing that picture, Elohim, God, the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, Verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him there wasn't anything that was made that was made. So you can see God, outside of time and space, who created the world and everything in it, 
And then you get down to verse 14. And the word, which was God, which was the creator of heaven and earth, was made or became flesh. So God, who's the spirit, who created the world and everything in it, came down, stepped into time and space, and became a man. Right? Now, that's a little bit of a stretch. I'll be honest with you. That's a little bit of a theological stretch. And you're probably, I'm going to be very honest because that's the type of Bible scholar that I want to be and that I am. I don't want to just take theological leaps. I don't think that's fair. So where in the world am I getting that idea? And let me finish this. And the word was made flesh, let me finish this verse here, and dwelt among us. The word there, dwelt, is kniai. And he basically uses the, the, the word there, shekinah, which basically the word shekinah comes from the word shekin, which means to dwell. And it's the word, the shekinah, glory of God, means that God came down and he dwelled in the tabernacle. And that's where John's using that language. God came down and he dwelled in the man Christ Jesus, just as in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, God came down and he dwelled in the tabernacle or in the temple. So it's very beautiful language. So where in the world is John getting that idea? Uh, probably from the statements that Jesus had made. Now, I want to prove it to you, but before we get to what Jesus had said, I want you to jump back to Genesis chapter 14. Or Genesis 19, verse 24, sorry. Genesis 19, verse 24. <coughs> and it says, Genesis 19, verse 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now, if you're looking at it, you'll see that it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So why is it saying that the Lord rained fire and brimstone from the Lord that is in heaven? Well, if the, if the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is supposed to signify the God who stepped into time and space, why is it using the language that he rained on uh, the Sodomites and the Gomorrahites, fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven? It looks like there's two different people there. But it's not an issue of two different people. It's an issue of omnipresence, right? Just because God stepped into time and space doesn't mean that there's two different people. Just because God stepped into time and space and he's showing that he's a very kind and a very merciful God, amen, he's also the lion and the lamb. Amen. He, there is, he only goes so far. Amen. There's consequences for sin. And when you get to that point, amen, not even mercy will save you. Why? Because mercy won't save you. You won't let it. Right? Yeah, it's just, that's how it is. You know, I was talking to a guy, and we got in this little debate on Facebook, and I went to Bible college with him, and he's, he's a homosexual now. And I was like, whoa, are you hacked or something? Because I'm just blown away by this revelation thing. And he's like, quit trying to shove your, your, your religion down my throat. I'm not a Christian. And I'm like, man, where in the world, you're not a Christian? We went to Bible school together. And he made a statement, I'm not a Christian. Quit trying to try to do all that, and I made, my response to him was this, I'm like, if God in all of his abundant mercy and kindness and patience, if that won't convince you to change your ways, there's no amount of me shoving anything down your throat that's going to convince you. And I think that's what happens. God could be so merciful and kind and patient, but when we reject all of that and we refuse to change, 
then we enter into a judgment on our own. And that's just the way that it is. So you've got this verse here in Genesis 19 that really captures that omnipresence of God to show that the uh, Sodomites and the Gomorrahites completely rejected everything that God had for them. And as a result, there was judgment that came on it. And it draws out this very uh, unfortunate picture of judgment for them, but it also shows this very beautiful picture of the omnipresence of God. All right, now if we go back to John, John Jesus capitalizes, he takes that idea. John chapter 3, verse 13. John 3, verse 13. He says this, and no man has ascended up to heaven. So it isn't that God became a man, or it, sorry, it isn't that man became a God. That's what a lot of Trinitarians try to argue is that man became a God, the second person of the Godhead. He said, no man has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. And he takes that idea. He came down, and he's applying it to himself. Right? Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Well, how is he saying the Son of Man is in heaven? And what he's doing is he's taking that same omnipresent concept that God who stepped out of time and space is still in, in uh, a still spirit, still eternal God, still has the ability to be judge, but still has the ability to be merciful and true. And he captures that idea and he applies it to himself. Now, this is one of the reasons why the Jews wanted to stone him so bad. Amen. They knew what he was saying when he said that. It was very clear to them that he was saying that he was God. That's why they killed him. John chapter 6, verse 38. I'll show it to you here. And we're going to run over this real quick. And we're going to get through this Bible study. John chapter 6, verse 38. He says very clearly, For I came down from heaven. Not to do my own will. Oh, man, there goes my whole oneness of God. I just destroyed it. Not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, it's very interesting. Why is he saying that? Right? It looks like on one hand, he's saying he came down from heaven, but now it looks like he's got two different wills. Chapter 6, verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now he's going to define what he meant by that. I am the bread which came down from heaven. And I love this because it's his own words. Amen. You don't have to interpret it any kind of crazy way. It's, it's his words. And they said, verse 42, and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Isn't this just a dude? Isn't this just an ordinary man whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Well, how in the world is he saying that I came down from heaven? Only God could do something like that. Right? Why is he doing it? This is just a normal dude. Verse 51, and he clarifies it. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So it's his own word. And he clarifies, not my will. He's talking about the will of the flesh. Amen. It's the will of the Father, that it, the will of the Spirit, that I give my flesh on behalf of the entire world. Amen. When God came down in, in Exodus, 
He came down to deliver the Jews from Egypt. Amen. But when he came down, amen, in the book of John, he didn't come down just to deliver the Jews from Egypt. He came down to deliver the entire world, amen, for all their sins. Amen. Amen. The revelation was for everybody. Amen. And what you have there is you've got a consistency, right? Because God came down in the sight of everybody. The revelation was for everyone. And Jesus capitalizes on that same concept and says, this is for everybody. Amen. And the Jews, and I know because I am one, they thought it was just for them. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the idea here. Amen. I'm not just a normal dude. Yeah, you're looking at a man. Amen. But I'm not here just as a normal guy doing my own thing. I'm here doing the will of the Father, the Spirit, that eternal God. Amen. The one who created the heavens and earth. Amen. The one who came down, amen, to deliver the people. That's what he's doing. He's making that. It's his language. Amen. Now, what about Paul? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. And we could go into Revelation, and I think I'm about to wrap this up. What time do I got left? Is it? He's coming right now? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Amen. There's no, there's no confusion there, folks. One Lord, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Amen. Verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Why? Because he gave his life on behalf of the whole world. Amen. God came down. Amen. To redeem the people. Amen. To save them by his own blood unto himself. He says, wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he's quoting Psalm 67, 68 in there. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it that he descended first? Amen. He wasn't just a man who went up. No. He was a God who came down first. Amen. That's Paul's theology into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10, he that descended is the same who also ascended up. Amen. He who came down. Amen, was the God who went back up. Amen, I'm here to tell you something. I know we got to go. Amen. These old school apostolic preachers have been right the whole time. Amen, this one Lord, one faith, one baptism doctrine is true. Amen, it's been from the very beginning. Amen, are you apostolic? Get to your feet, come on. Let's worship the Lord. Sing the holy. Jesus, victory has a name, and it's Jesus, oh, the word has a name, and it's Jesus, redemption has a name, and it's Jesus, sing holiness, holiness. Jesus. 
Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Come on, could you just put your hands together? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. We serve a mighty God. Amen. Yes, we do. I am so thankful. Amen. I am so thankful for this word right here. Amen. That this could be illuminated 